Witches are an incredibly common archetype in gaming. Sometimes they're the old monster that lurks in the woods, while other times they're the local healer. This week on the podcast, join me, Zach Walsh, as I speak with Gavin of Balsamic Games to talk about the upcoming tabletop role-playing game, Witches of Midnight. Explore an incredibly dark setting filled with choices in this Forge in the Dark system. Talks of arcane proportion are happening right now on Schedule for Launch. Welcome to Schedule for Launch, a podcast to discover the projects that you may have missed. This week, I am welcoming on another amazing creator for a really, really cool game. Gavin, thank you so much for joining me this week on the podcast. I'm super pumped to have you here. Thank you. I'm extremely excited to be here. We were actually connected by, I believe it was Mo sent you my way, didn't he? It was, indeed. Friend of the show. Hi, Mo. I'm sure you listened <laughs> to this. Send Gavin some love. Thank you for sending him my way. <laughs> I'm excited, though. We're going to be talking about Witches of Midnight, which is, it's, it's rad. You and your team <laughs> have done you. something so cool. <laughs> like, Thank you. I feel like we weird. tapped into the zeitgeist there. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I, <laughs> I love it. And as the audience will hear in a moment, it's a Forge in the Dark game. I've talked about how much of a sucker I am for these games and just it's so frequently. And yeah, I'm excited to be talking to you. Yeah, so am I. And uh, the love for Forged in the Dark Games runs very deep with us as well. So <laughs> I'm sure we'll get into some of the ins and outs of why we care about that system so much. Before we get into that, can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? I'm Gavin Moore. Uh, I'm the lead developer and the uh, head lore weaver for witches of midnight uh, we're both a game production company balsamic moon games collective and a group of streamers and actual players uh, so we we kind of run the gamut um, <laughs> but yeah i've been uh, making games since i was 15 i'm significantly older than that now let's just say <laughs> uh it was before dnd third edition if that uh wow tells okay. you anything. yeah there you uh, go <laughs> um, my first games I made using uh, the randomized function on a calculator um, before I even found out about uh, the ampersand game. And uh, yeah, <laughs> so it's been uh, a long time of uh, making hacks and world building and making my own rules systems. Uh -huh. And it wasn't until the pandemic I decided that... Uh, now was the time to actually put uh, pen to paper, as it were, and get a game out. Yeah. You know what, though? We hear so much, like, obviously, pandemic was absolutely horrible, mm -hmm. quarantine and stuff. But something that I said, especially when the show started, was it gave people who didn't have the time to follow these passions, it gave them that opportunity, a lot of people that opportunity it did. And Absolutely. That is one thing I will take away from COVID-19 is the fact that now we have so many really good games yeah. and they just went, a lot of them wouldn't exist if we didn't have that. That's a hundred percent true. 
Yeah, it was uh, a wake-up call that if we had passions uh, that we were, you know, maybe not uh, fulfilling, uh, that, you know, <laughs> that's a little morbid, but... <laughs> no, I get you. I know what you mean. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. It's a little more morbid than I meant to go. <laughs> uh, but, you know, just just uh, getting something we're passionate out into the world and letting people sort of see who we are through mm-hmm. the games we make. Um, we became more unapologetic about our politics and our beliefs and how we care about people and how we care about our communities. And as we'll probably get into in a bit. Uh, those things come out uh, stated or writ large uh, in the game. (laughs) Speaking of the game, what is Witches of Midnight? Yeah, Witches of Midnight is a Forged in the Dark game. We call it a hopeful horror game. Uh, The elements, uh, the setting can be horrific uh, depending on where your coven decides to focus. Uh, But... Uh, you play extremely powerful witches in this setting, and while you are besieged on all sides by uh, enemy factions, you have nigh unlimited power, uh, mm. including access to something that is called wild magic, um, which, again, something we'll probably get into a bit later. Yes, uh, yes Intel <laughs> to the system. I think hopeful horror is a really good way to describe this from what I've read, which is basically the, what was, what would you call this? The, the beta or the alpha? Um, Yeah. (laughs) This is, um, let's call it the final beta. This is, um, we are coming down to the line of the manuscript being complete. So Mm -hmm. we've been saying it's about 95% done. Uh, so much so that some of the sections have already gone to layout. So, oh, sweet! Yeah, I didn't realize it was that far along. Like, it looks yeah, we great. wanted to be we wanted to be a little ahead of the curve for the Kickstarter, so we had a little bit more to show off. Mm-hmm. Now, before we lose it too, because you had mentioned it at the beginning, but and you had told me, and I thought this was super interesting. Witches of Midnight is also a stream. Can you talk about yeah. how that started and like? where that all came from. Yeah. Very early on, uh, when we first realized that we sort of had a game that we could really dig our hands into and, and really, we were really excited about, we started, uh, thinking about sort of what the art might look like. I know that's mm-hmm. a weird segue, but, uh, we started looking into art and we realized we really liked photography and as it's a modern, Uh, alternate universe world, we figured photography is a great place to start for our art. Uh, So we reached out to uh, some people that we were uh, Patreon patrons of and said, hey, we've been using you in our home games as an NPC. Uh, We wondered if you'd like to model and be that NPC in our game. I love that. (laughs) And uh, amazingly, (laughs) amazingly, Morningstar said yes, and um, if you haven't met Morningstar the Scytherian yet, um, you will probably, if you follow this project, you will meet him very quickly. Um, Yeah. But he uh, was the first person to sign on and say, 
we need to, we should take this online. Uh, we should start streaming. And with his backing, uh, we absolutely could not refuse that. Um, and so in the first six months or so, we rose from obscurity to having uh, about 800 followers on Twitch. Wow. Um, it's about doubled since then. And uh, yeah, we've had to scale back our game time because of the work we're doing on the manuscript right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's been almost two solid years. We've done a little over 70 sessions and 60 of those are online right now. So you could really, you could almost track back the progress of the game. Um, You can't get back to earlier than when Wild Magic was part of the game. But other than that, (laughs) (laughs) um, we hadn't, we hadn't tied down heritages or, you know, um, several of the factors that are major, uh, majorly important in the game now. So yeah, very interesting. It blows my mind because we've been more or less running parallel then because Schedule for Launch is just over two years old as well. So we've probably been in the space for roughly the same amount of time then. That's amazing. Like I said, everybody, (laughs) the passions, the passions just inflamed (laughs) for so many of us. So that's where the stream started. But now we have this game, which, like you said, a lot of your viewers have been watching develop over time maybe yeah. not being able to follow in like the the nitty-gritty behind what you are all doing but they've <laughs> watched this develop in more or less real time right and the basis of that is forged in the dark yeah why forged in the dark for you so something a lot of people maybe intuitively know in the dark but don't necessarily, uh, haven't sort of consciously wrapped their mind around, is the fact that it's a very consent-based system. Uh, You consent when you are declaring your action. You and your lore weaver game master are having a conversation and deciding what the the fiction looks like and how that interacts with your action. And by the time you get through that process... Um, everybody's on the same page and you have all consented to what's about to happen. Your lore weaver might have already told you what some of the consequences might look like if you fail. Um, and then when you make that die roll, that is your, your statement of consent. And then when you have consequences, you also get to decide to consent or to pull back from those consequences uh, by making a resistance roll. So when we were talking about making a game about witches... Consent was number one. People in the world, uh, in America, don't seem to understand consent extremely well. Um, (laughs) So we thought, what better way to teach consent than to have a system that's based on consent? And Forged in the Dark had already made huge steps toward that. Yeah, Uh, We added, you know, death as uh, an sort of optional rule. Um, Mm -hmm. and consent-based retirement, um, Mm -hmm. things like that, uh, to sort of expand that concept of consent throughout the rest of the game. So, But those are just on the sort of play side. Uh, Before you even get into the game, you're going to jump through some um, really fun consent hoops. (laughs) 
that we've created. <laughs> um, we wrote our own lines and veils uh, that you go through during session zero. So you're, everybody's on the same page and everybody has brought their desires to the table. And then beyond that, when you're making your coven, you're actually deciding what factions you want to interact with, what questions you have about the game world, and what themes you want to explore while your characters answer those questions as the game progresses. So can you run me through how that works, and specifically with covens? Because I know you were excited to tell me about that. I've read a little bit about it, and it's yeah. super interesting. It's definitely one of the the more interesting and more... Unusual? Unusual isn't the word I was going to use. I was going to say it's definitely one of the most like involved forms yeah. of faction creation that I've seen in Forged in the Dark. Yeah. So... Um... Let's see the the uh, angle at which to answer that. Uh, <laughs> so when you start coven creation, um, and after you've decided what factions that you're going to interact with as the most major players, you have a few questions that you have to answer about the game world, the way you want to see the game world. And these the first few are relatively simple things, like, at what age should a witch become registered and have their wild magic bound in your world, in the world that you're interested in playing in? Now, we don't ever answer that question for you in the text of the book because we don't want to limit you to playing in a game world where you have to be 42 years old before you gain your wild magic powers or... Mm you have to be 16 years old before you gain your wild magic powers. Depending on the story you're telling in our world, you can make those decisions for your coven. If you want to tell a story about witches that are going through the process of learning magic and then having to come to the question of, do we let ourselves be bound and join a, a, and join a congregation? Or do we resist the order at all costs. Um, if you want to tell that story, you might not want to tell that story with 16 year olds as the main characters. Yeah. You might want to tell that story with 21 year olds as the main characters because it gives you more wiggle room to tell different kinds of stories. Something I want to make sure that audience that you understand is just because that this is an optionally deathless game. It's dark. This is still a very dark game. There's a <laughs> lot of dark true. themes that you get to play with in here. So don't worry. That yeah. part of Forge of the Dark is still in here. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, literally the darkest Forged in the Dark game. Uh, there is no sun. <laughs> <laughs> very similar to Blades, actually. Uh, but at the time, I hadn't played Blades yet, so I wasn't really? aware of that. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I've uh, run... 13 episodes of Scum and Villainy, uh, 7 uh, Fistful of Darkness, and 72 episodes of Witches of Midnight. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, and while I've listened to my share of Blade's podcasts, I haven't actually found time to run the OG. <laughs> I think you might be the first Forge in the Dark player <laughs> I've ever heard say that. That's I'm a forger I mean... through and through. 
<laughs> no, you know what? That's totally fair. I actually kind of love that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what I did was I just told you what the first question that we ask is. And like I said, it's about what age do witches become registered? Mm -hmm. um, and that kind of hints at how dark you, your game is going to get in a way. Uh, but that's just the first question that you come to. And these are at the beginning of character or coven creation. Uh, you, you're actually going to directly answer several questions yep. about the game world. Uh, but then as you build your coven, you start to decide what questions you want to ask rather than answering the questions directly. So you might ask a question how is Sovereign, Sovereign Morningstar, uh, what would he be now, 400 years old, uh, and yet <laughs> a mundane, uh, not a witch? Um, oh. That could be the type of question that your players want to answer, and rather than answering it during Coven creation, they could decide from this list, I think we have 42 themes, and they can pick and... Uh, play with different themes and say, I want to, we, we want to know the answer to that question, but we want to talk about, we want it to be in the theme of romance, or we want it to be in the theme of climate change. <laughs> we want to work these elements into how we answer that question. Mm -hmm. um, and that gives your lore weaver so much uh, to work with um, as far as the way you will go about uh, learning the answers to those questions. And of course, when you learn an answer to one of these questions, it's going to open up a lot more questions. Yeah. <laughs> so you might start with uh, like three or four questions, big questions that you want to answer and maybe play 13 sessions and finally get the answer to one of the big questions and realize that now you have about 10 more questions. Yeah. Um, so it can lead to really good long-term campaign play. Uh, and you might start with four factions that you're interested in and your lore weaver is going to sprinkle those other factions in as engagements uh, throughout your campaign. So eventually, even though you might not start with Corpus Temp Templi Solaris as a enemy or an ally, you might decide based on the way you've been playing that they are indeed enemies. Uh, and then that can open up whole new avenues of play as well. I think that that is a, it's such a huge blessing for the table because now not only do you have these key questions that directly give your lore master the starting points for where they want to go with the campaign, but you also have the threads that can come from that. And it just, it's a, such a good way to get everybody involved from a role-playing standpoint too, mm -hmm. right off the hop. Yeah. And this is before... We, we haven't entirely decided whether Coven creation is going to come before or after character creation. That is still one of the things that our whole team is going over. Um, but uh, if Coven creation does end up being first, which it's starting to seem like that might be a necessity, 
then in addition to that, you're going to be building your character and their grimoire and their own goals. And those goals can conflict or uh, bolster the coven's goals and can create some really fun drama at the table. And the best part about it is it's all consensual. They already know, okay, my goal is to create havoc inside of our uh, coven or when we're dealing with uh, X faction, um, I might not be putting forth my A game uh, to try yeah. to be destructive to their property because I have uh, my character might have uh, ulterior motives with them. Uh, mm -hmm. So yeah, you you're gonna get whole different uh, like layers of uh, drama that you can create. Um, and uh, nobody's going to be, I mean, they'll be surprised. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, it, but it will be something that everyone has agreed to ahead of time. And you could go back to our Night Sky Sanctum actual play, which was uh, pretty much the, the original, and see how far you can push that drama. We had a character from the very beginning that uh, started out with ulterior motives and the game ended when their ulterior motives came fully to fruition. Oh, uh, no. And it was a heck of a <laughs> lot of fun. World-bending fun. Because when you get wild witches that have uh, a destructive goal, um, they might do anything to, to see them through. So We're going to hit on that wild magic in just a second. I just yeah. want to introduce who the players are. Because like you said, obviously yeah. they're witches, but there's a little bit more depth to them. Something I find really interesting is how powerful these characters are compared to other forged games. They're strong. Yeah. Like they're tough. <laughs> yeah. I've I've run one shots of uh, Witches of Midnight where people came away from it saying, We're this is almost a superhero game. And I said, Well, it can definitely be played like that. Um, it's You basically have a tool called casting style that allows you to sort of rein yourself back in. If mm -hmm. you want to play something like a superhero, then uh, they could just cast magic by their will uh, without any tools or special rituals or um, mentorship or anything. You know, yep. they just think what they want to happen and it happens. You'll you'll end up with sort of superheroic witches if you do that, um, but uh, casting style is a way to sort of rein that back in and say, well, my character uses a wand, or mm -hmm. my character has to sing to cast spells, um, and then those are ways of uh, sort of giving your lore weaver a little bit of leeway to put some roadblocks between you and casting your spells. Um, so, you know, disarming you of your wand if you're a wand caster or um, uh, preventing you from speaking, you uh, have to sing uh, to cast spells, things mm -hmm. like that. Uh, but you gain experience whenever you're subjected to those uh, types of uh, restrictions. Yeah. Uh, but yes, grimoires. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I wanted to get on. These are so cool. <laughs> The Grimoires are all so good. So, yeah, we have 
We are finishing up the last four. When we are done, we will have 22 grimoires. So right now we have 17. We just finished one today. Uh, the grimoires are not... Uh, here's what they're not. <laughs> they aren't going to tell you how to do magic. That's the job of casting style. They aren't going to tell you that you can't play a Christian witch or that you can't play a uh, voodoo witch. Um, those things are all up to you and your table and your lore weaver. Uh, but what they do tell you is what your character is specifically amazing at. And the first ever grimoire that we worked on was called the Baba. And they are a mix between a necromancer and a home guardian. Uh, so they oh. have the ability to use a ritual to sense whatever is happening in their home at any time. So if you're out on an undertaking and worried that uh, your familiar is in your home getting into trouble, uh, you can do a short ritual in the game and you can see anything that's happening at your home which in most cases is also the player's covenstead. Mm -hmm. uh, so the group, the group hub. Um, so if you're being, uh, if your covenstead is being infiltrated, uh, you can know about it and be there, be there to be on the offensive uh, before they get out. Um, so, and that is uh, one of the, their 10 abilities. <laughs> yeah. Um, that a starting character has. Uh, so, yeah, Babas can animate the dead. They can um, steal people's life uh, to heal their own wounds or, of course, uh, destroy their foes. Yeah. Uh, and a, a dozen or so other things. Uh, every grimoire is on its own exceptionally powerful. Um, it provides you with something that goes far beyond what a normal playbook does in a lot of other uh, Forged in the Dark games. Mm -hmm. So you have all of the actions that you have in Forged in the Dark games, which already make a character feel pretty powerful if you've yeah. played <laughs> any Forged in the Dark games like Blades or Scum and Villainy. You know that one good playbook power uh, you know, uh, can, can be, uh, I reversed that, <laughs> 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 that, uh, you know, having an extra dot in, uh, uh, skirmish can be, you know, life-changing. Um, mm -hmm. but, uh, these powers are, uh, similarly, uh, massive. Uh, they, they can look simple on the tin, like greater telekinesis, allows you to telekinetically move move objects with your mind um, but there are a there's a whole layer of metamagical mechanics that you can put on top of that one tiny little spell to where if you wanted to cause an entire poltergeist scene where every pot and pan in an entire building uh, was flying out of the shelves um, it's just a matter of spending a little more essence um, so yeah the uh, powers go pretty wild pretty fast. Um, so we had one one person recently used greater telekinesis uh, and a surfboard that they pulled off the back of a car. Uh, and they used telekinesis to literally surf their entire group 
um, on the, uh, what was it, the East River uh, to catch up to a fleeing boat. <laughs> so <laughs> That's awesome. That's so good. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was a very powerful use of, of the ability. So it used yeah. up a lot of their essence, but, you know, that's half the fun of the game is using up your resources and, and seeing if you can hold hold on to your power long enough to get back home and do a little recovery. Mm -hmm. Just so people know, what is Essence in Witches of Midnight? Yeah, so Essence is a magical force that's all around everyone at all times, uh, but witches have a particular ability to tap into it and to sort of store it in their bodies. Uh, Essence is what you use to use most of your powers, uh, some of your powers you can do passively and don't require it. Um, the great thing about Essence is it's not like uh, willpower or stress. When you run out, your character's perfectly fine. <laughs> um, you, uh, you can uh, basically pull Essence out of the world around you and continue to do magic, but you suffer magical anomalies and glitches and things of that nature the more essence uh once you're out of essence the more you try to pull in to use um, <laughs> so you're basically agreeing to i'm gonna have some extra consequences for doing this uh but i need that essence yeah yeah, uh, there is one downside to running out of essence, and that is if you were to take trauma and get, uh, usually from willpower loss during a session, uh, and you are also out of essence, you become disconnected from your magic. And that malady can take a session or more uh, to fix, to rectify. Yeah, uh, but it can bad. be a lot of fun, too. <laughs> um <laughs> We had uh, that happen relatively early on in one of our games before we started streaming. Uh, and the PCs were like, oh, no, we will not idly sit by and watch you languish without magic. Uh, instead, <laughs> we're going to do an undertaking <laughs> to make sure that you get your magic back. Um, and so they went to the most powerful magical place they could, which is a, uh, a faction known as the Floating Market. Uh, to petition the Fae to see if they could restore uh, one of our PC's magic a little early. And uh, I can tell you it went well, and it went interestingly, and it did not go to plan. <laughs> and almost nothing with the Fae does. <laughs> that they paid more than it was worth. Oh, Sorry. That's so good. No, that's okay. <laughs> so that actually works perfectly into something I wanted to bring up and that's uh, the fake clock. And yeah, I feel like, we're all, you know what, let's hold off on the fake clock for just a okay. second. Cause I want to, I want to get into wild magic. Yeah, magic sure. It's really cool. And we've been talking magic. So can tell me about wild magic, man. Let's, yeah. let's get into that. <laughs> so wild magic is your ability to take the things that are important to your character, your heritage, which we'll talk about later, your yeah. aspect, which is a tarot card based on your character, and your grimoire, and you put those all together and you can create any single magical effect, usually grand in its nature, 
that matches with one or more of those elements of your character. And you can create that magical effect um, at very little cost uh, <laughs> to yourself, but great cost to sort of the world around you. So you uh, sort of make an unreality bubble around yourself uh, full of extremely wild uh, and terrifying magic. And then you assert your will on that and blast it outward. Um, and when you do that, you can create some pretty world-changing effects. Um, we have used it to... Uh, we had a character who was a shapeshifter, but could not shapeshift into extremely complex things. They used it to shapeshift themselves into an ATV with giant bat wings um, oh. that they used to carry the entire party away from uh, their foes. Um, we had a character that used a sort of enhanced animate dead spell after they found out that the uh, floor that they had been fighting on was uh, actually an indoor cemetery uh, and literally raised an army of the dead from within the building they were in uh, and sent them against their foes. Uh, so yeah, it can... Um, it's pretty much anything you can think of that you can get down to a single effect um, you can do with wild magic. So uh, we love to say like the Raiders of the Ark uh, uh, scene with the uh, melting faces. Yeah, absolutely possible. Um, but yeah, uh, wild magic, when you cast wild magic, you because of the damage that you do to the magical field around you, um, there is a faction who becomes instantly aware of what you've done and immediately starts to hunt you. They are a subordinate organization to the Order, which is the main villainous uh, entity of the game world, uh, called the Red Watch. And they are uh, high-tech soldiers that have a... Uh, gem implanted in one of their eyes that allows them to see the magic field. Mm -hmm. And so as soon as you do wild magic, they start the hunt. And uh, that is when it is probably time to, you, you want to make sure your magic succeeds <laughs> um, or that you have a getaway plan. See, this might be a wild pull, but Red Watch specifically I don't know if you're familiar with this show, but did you ever watch Witch Hunter Robin? I have not. Red Watch is more or less what the main characters of that do. They monitor witches in a certain area, and as soon as magic is used, they hone in, and their job is to take them out, and that's what I think of, and that's a scary wow. thought to me. It's, that yeah, is awesome. It's really intense. It's like, I think it's like an early 2000s anime. It's yeah, 2002, apparently. Yeah, yeah I've, I've got to check that out. We've had so many people say, have you heard of, uh, you know, this <laughs> or that? Uh, you're, you're, you, yeah, no, we have, we have definitely plucked a lot of ideas out of the ether that even we didn't know were sort of already out there. Um, a lot of people have said, uh, what was it, Witch Hat Atelier? Um, I heard of that one. Like, oh, that must have been a huge influence for you. It's a, <laughs> It's apparently a manga that hasn't really made it to the U.S. yet. 
but a lot of people still know about uh, the Owl House. We've had comparisons to, yeah. um, which you know, if it weren't for a more adult audience, there are ways to play it. Um, though, <laughs> <laughs> because I've run it for our kids uh, that range in age, uh, or ranged in age at the time from. 10 to 14, I do know that it can be played uh, with younger audiences, but mm-hmm. you know, you, you do have to be a little careful with uh, the, the potential for darkness, you know, yeah. Yeah. avoid the factions that are uh, really under their, uh, under their dress shirts. They're actually summoning, yeah. you know, eldritch uh, abominations. abominations. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking for that word too. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's something that's so cool i think that one of my favorite things about just reading through which is a midnight is it's a game that has so many influences and you've listed a bunch of them Mm -hmm. but i feel like people can like like i said my first thought coming into this factions witch hunter robin and i hadn't thought about (laughs) that show in probably 20 years so like well, it, it's, it's about like, to get binged tonight. I can tell you that. <laughs> I don't know how it holds up. I'll be perfectly honest. <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> but to to me, it's just I feel that we have so much really cool and really good witch media, and this hits so many of those grim, dark, interesting feelings that you can you can roll into this game and know what you're getting into. Yeah. We were pretty intentional from the beginning about saying, if you came to witches or to witchcraft or to this game about witches through a certain piece of media, we want to make sure that we have a faction that can align to that at least way of thinking. So. We were huge fans of um, Motherland Fort Salem. Not yeah. a lot of people seem to have seen it. Um, huge, huge fans. And that is the reason that we have military witches uh, in the game. It's not a faction that, for some reason, a lot of people touch on. But if you came here from watching that show, you would immediately see, oh, I know exactly where we can put our characters if we want to play something similar. You know, it's not exactly the same. They're, they don't have uh, biddies keeping the, their uh, elders <laughs> alive. Uh, but they do all have griffins, so that's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the Legion of the Griffin is our uh, witch, uh, witch-centered military uh, for oh, Midnight. Well, you mentioned that those griffins there, and that's your animal companion. Guess what, everybody? Familiars. Familiars yeah. are amazing. I think everybody loves a good familiar, and you have that option in this game. And they are—they're good. They're really good, and super useful. What was it like building familiars to make sure that people a had that, but b kind of balanced into the gameplay? Yeah. Well, this is another place where Forged in the Dark had done some of the heavy lifting for us. Um, If you've played other Forged in the Dark games, you know that you could be playing a character you're extremely excited about and, you know, racking up the XP and gaining new abilities and stuff like that. But you could decide, 
you know this NPC that we've been dealing with a bunch. I feel like he his goal to do X Y Z um, really makes him a prime uh, character for being involved in this next mission. And you can pick up that NPC and sort of elevate him to PC status for a session uh, and just run through the game playing as that character. Well, we kind of did the same thing with familiars. When you make your familiar, they become sort of a part of your character. And you can jump between playing as your familiar and playing as the witch themselves pretty much, well, actually 100% seamlessly. It's pretty much done exactly like uh, playing through a flashback. So you have complete control over where your familiar is and what it's doing at all times. So if you ever need to make a flashback and say, oh, my familiar raccoon is actually right on the other side of that door, standing there with the potion that I need, um, then, you know, you you can do that. Uh, Spend the uh, resources to do it. And then go open that door and make sure they really are right there on the other side of the door like you uh, wanted them to be. Uh, and that might require an action roll or two and or some and and or some resistance rolls. But, you know, you'll get there in the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we've had several sessions where we've played uh, familiar only sessions. So the PCs are busy doing something, getting ready for a grand ritual or a holiday uh, celebration. Um, or just planning the next undertaking. And we can pick up with something that the whole group's familiars are interested in doing um, and play those familiars for a session. So, yeah, they uh, you have complete leeway as a player when you're developing your familiar. They are normally what we call uh, non-human natural animals, um, but that doesn't prevent them from also being ghosts or <laughs> from being... Um, uh, resurrected pets, uh, or any other thing that you want to do with your familiar. So your familiar is part of your character's storyline. So it's something we want you to build easily as part of character creation, but then we want you to sort of reach into that bag and pull out story bits and pull out drama bits as the game goes on and sort of uh, tell us more about your familiar as the game goes on. You know, did you get your familiar from another witch? Uh, was it passed down from your parents? Uh, did your original familiar die in some unusual circumstances? And this familiar is your second one, and it's never been quite the same. Uh, or you, your you know, pet dog uh, died when you were a kid, and the first time you realized you were a witch, you brought it back from the dead. Um, and now it's your familiar. So... <laughs> you have so much room to play with uh, what you want to do with your familiar. Uh, yeah. And it can be a lot of fun. And we've had familiars that range from microscopic all the way up to uh, like a bull moose. So <laughs> I, um, I like a familiar personally. This is just personal preference. I like a familiar that can fit through vents. Um, yeah, so I don't fair. usually go any bigger than that. Yeah, I... I think too something that I really like about the familiar system and grimoire specifically is how many of these grimoire abilities also give a bump to your familiar. Like mm. I'm a huge fan of the animist. Yeah. I've always been a huge fan of that entire just like genre of magic. And 
when I saw the mythical familiar ability, I was like, I'll, I'd probably play this one. This is probably the one that I would play. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, animus have changed a lot since the uh, beginning, but so the version you saw is, is nearly final. So I'm glad you're, yeah. you're enjoying that. Um, yeah. Animus are kind of the light side half of uh, what the other one is the cosmic uh, yeah, awesome. cosmic Very reaches into <laughs> the far reaches of the astral plane and finds a patron spirit or creature uh, that they gain their powers from. And an animist reaches into the ver- the natural world and finds a patron spirit from there. So it could be anything from a god or goddess from mythology, or it could be literally the concept of a bear. Uh, yeah. could be good enough to be your patron. Uh, so yeah, you you if your patron is a bear, you can add you can just sort of layer all these bear abilities on top of whatever your mm-hmm. familiar already is. Um, so yeah, gives you a ton of leeway for making exceptionally powerful and exceptionally unique familiars. I think there are three such powers now, and we just added a fourth literally earlier today. Uh, with the Harpy Grimoire. Yes. Now, is Harpy one of the Heritage Grimoires? It is, yeah. It is the Lilithu Heritage. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about Heritages before we start wrapping things up. Because I think, like I said, I think I said it before the show, but I love the Heritages. Y'all have done such a good job with, like, the Heritages. And, like, I love the Fae and just oh, there's something so cool maybe it's how you have them lined up too in the character <laughs> creation i can see how you are all picturing these these characters maybe looking i i really like the heritages you have here so can you can you tell us a little bit about heritages and what they do for the player yeah so it's it's hard to talk about heritages without talking about the fey but um i think i can manage it um, <laughs> it's a little different. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So the heritages are something recent that has happened in the game world. Uh, people have started exhibiting traits, especially witches. Let me start with that. Witches mm-hmm. have been over the last uh, 75 years or so exhibiting these traits of, uh, mythological creatures, uh, gods and goddesses, uh, things of that nature, uh, even cryptids. Uh, and sometimes those traits are uh, very are almost not noticeable. So you might have you might uh, have satyr blood, and you have little uh, horns that are just starting to stick out of the top of your head that you can easily cover with a a hoodie or something like that, you know, or you could literally have, you know, nearly backwards legs um, that are spring loaded for jumping. Um, And both of those characters would be considered uh, satyr heritage. So yes, we have nine heritages and any expansions that we work on in the future are going to heavily feature additional heritages. We have several already uh, on the board. (laughs) waiting to be made but we were like we're capping this at nine and we got the ones that we really wanted in there 
for this release. Yeah. And they're all so good. And I, I, I think people have a lot of fun with them. They're a flavor thing mechanically, right? They have they have some mechanics attached, but they're they're kind of bare bones, and that's on purpose because yeah. we don't uh, we're not going to make an assumption about what traits your character possesses because they are part of this heritage. So mm-hmm. if you're a Squatch and you don't want to be eight feet tall and covered in fur from head to toe, that's completely fine. You can look like a normal human and still have Squatch blood. If you're if you come across an Arcanum, which is a magical device, and it only works for people that have Squatch blood, then it will work for you, despite you not having any outward signs that you're a Squatch. Um, but it'll work for the one that is completely covered from head to toe in fur and has the strength of eight people. Uh, <laughs> as well. Um, so the, on the mechanical side, when you tell your lore weaver that being a Squatch is going to help you on this action, uh, say bashing a guard, a Red Watch guard over the head to knock him unconscious, um, that tells the lore weaver and the other players something more about your character that they might not have already known. And to yeah. us, you teach us something about your character that's worth experience points mm-hmm. so uh, yes there are mechanics attached and but they're really light they're almost the same as how we handle harm uh, harm does not come with a penalty per se uh, but if you decide that your character should be penalized then you will gain extra experience at the end of the session i love that option too that leans into those themes of consent really well mm-hmm. So I, I I appreciate that a lot. We had talked about it. Oh, you're welcome. We had talked about it a little bit earlier, and we had just mentioned the difference between like heritages and fey. Mm-hmm. They are super powerful in here, and there's the fey role. I wanted to talk about that because it works a little different than what's called the mm-hmm. devil's bargain in other Forge in the Dark games. So can you talk about the fey role and specifically the fey? I think it's called the fey timer or the fey clock. Uh, the Fey Bargain Clock, uh, which has now been just shortened to the Bargain Clock, uh, because okay. there are now so many grimoires that uh, use other types of bargains, but it did originally start out. And then if you play the Quick Start, which is available for free right now, uh, in the Quick Start, there are only Fey Bargains. But let's jump into it as Fey Bargains, because the Fey are extremely important in the game. If you've played other Forged in the Dark games and you know about Devil's Bargains, then you know they have this really interesting effect on the game. They let you as a player create some extra complications for yourself in exchange for an extra die on your action roll. Well, we take that a step further. There actually is a devil, of course, in our case, (laughs) the Fae, uh, that's providing you these bargains. So we have invisible Fae that are sort of running around in the world all the time that even witches generally don't see. And when you need a Fae bargain, uh, your character is sort of just reaching out with their mind and saying, I need help with this. And any nearby Fae are going to come to your aid. Now, they expect that. Uh, to be paid back with interest (laughs) at a later time. Uh, So as you take Fey Bargains, you add to your Bargain Clock. And when your Bargain Clock fills, 
you now have a contract. And that contract becomes a physical, uh, well, in some games, it's a physical representation. We actually had uh, coins that you were handed from Faye uh, that said, mm -hmm. you owe me a bargain. <laughs> you oh, owe wow. me a contract. Um, and so oh, basically they are what the Fae use to barter amongst themselves. Um, but the Fae, the Fae are not player characters. Um, no. So when a Fae comes calling and says, you owe a contract, um, then you pretty much have to do what they say. Um, we call those Fae entanglements. So you've got regular entanglements that affect the entire coven. And then you have Fae entanglements. And usually those are going to be resolved during an undertaking. So if you're coven is going off and doing an undertaking, maybe you'll be able to resolve your fey contract while you're doing that undertaking. Um, that way it doesn't interrupt the game too much. Mm -hmm. uh, but you might develop a relationship with that fey based on the things that they are having you do. Uh, yep. It might be a good relationship or it might be a bad relationship. Um, so it really brings the fey factions into play no matter what factions you decide are going to be sort of in the forefront of the game at Coven Creation, mm -hmm. um, it's a way of bringing in all the Fae factions. Like I said earlier on with the uh, the floating market, um, if you're ever in a jam and you don't know what to do, uh, you can always go try to find the nearest floating market and see if you can make some extra deals with the Fae in an, in, uh, uh, for some new powers, some new gear, uh, some arcanum that can get you out of a tight spot. Um, just know that you're probably going to be paying more than the price that's listed on the uh, item itself. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's that's just the invisible fae. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, the invisible fae almost never collect on contracts. They sell those contracts to more powerful factions to get you to do those factions bidding. So mm. that's where the fun and interesting bits can come in because a lot of the really powerful Fae factions are interested in watching humans suffer or yeah. interested in uh, making their own fun out of having you do outlandish things. Um, in one of our very first sessions, we had characters into uh, the Tier 5 Fae Faction's uh, Arcadian Realm. And um, they basically, the uh, Queens of the Fae, just watched them through a scrying portal, uh, everything that the characters did while they were in, the, uh, in their realm, and just laughed and had a great time, and then tortured them on the way out, just to make sure that they uh, didn't think that they were actually winning at anything. <laughs> yeah they they're all about entertaining themselves yeah it's i think it kind of holds to a lot of the stories of yeah. the uh the cruel fae and their courts <laughs> yeah you can meet a few good if you're lucky you'll meet independent fae that aren't mm -hmm. aligned with a particular faction they tend to have uh goals that you might be able to be like, yeah, I can get on board with these goals. If you're really lucky, then uh, one of those will pick up your contract. Awesome. I'm excited about that. So Gavin, 
Witches of Midnight is going to be funding really soon. When and where can people start seeing that? And maybe what can they get with their early backing? Yeah, well, right now we are uh, we are expecting to start the Kickstarter on June 21st at noon Eastern time. And the early backers will receive a Powered by Witchcraft, an enamel pin. And it's, uh, I think it's rather large. It's, it's uh, more, it's bigger than an inch around. Um, so it'll be a nice addition to any, you know, jackets or uh, bags that you have that you, you like to show off what you love on. Um, and it's going to be uh, gold, uh, the metal is going to be uh, gold colored. So it's going to look, it's going to pop. Uh, we're really excited about the pen. We can't wait to get them in. Um, but yes, it's a game and a, a tarot deck. So we're not just kickstarting the game that we're uh, finishing up now. We're also kickstarting a tarot deck, a tarot guidebook, and a set of custom dice that we'll be making. So hmm. yeah, there's a little something for everybody. If you want your witch, uh, your your witchy dice uh, that go with the game, it's going to be a six d six set. So perfect for the game, and really any Forged in the Dark games. The tarot deck is coming along great. Um, our artist is working, just finishing up the second major Arcana card. But it's going to be a fully usable deck in terms of uh, being able to use it for divination or, you know, whatever, anything that you want to use a tarot deck for. Uh, But it's also uh, has importance in the game itself. So you can draw random factions, you can draw random grimoires, random heritages, and you can use the minor arcana in the deck to instantly pick a new familiar if for some reason your familiar were to die, uh, which is, has never happened amazingly. Um, when you give the witches the ability to resist damage that happens to their <laughs> familiars, they almost always resist the damage. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it's it also it's real hard as a GM to kill their pet. Like... <laughs> I did it one time, and then we were like, I didn't like that. He's okay. (laughs) (laughs) On this one, uh, you just spend a downtime activity um, between sessions and summon a new familiar. So it can be that simple. But yeah, like I said, we've never had a chance to actually see that in action. Uh, everybody is very protective of their familiars, which is awesome. <laughs> exactly what I want to see. Yeah. Gavin, we're running low on time here, but I got two yeah. more questions for you. I'd love to hear. First question I ask at the end of every episode, and that's what advice can you give to new creators who may not know where to start with their project, but what advice can you give them? Find community folks uh, people that can give you instant or near instant feedback um, and sort of let you know if you have something um, mm-hmm. and if you're excited about it they're probably going to get pretty excited about it too I mean that's why we did our, we started our discord says we wanted to bring together people who are really excited about 
what we were putting out as balsamic yeah. games. Um, and yeah, we've, we're, we feel really good about this community. Um, and so, yeah, having a good community is primo. Yes. Oh my gosh. I think we talked about that on an episode or two ago, but yeah, just having a good community can just, it changes everything. It's so, <laughs> it's so nice. <laughs> Absolutely. Final question for getting through all of this. You can do a little bit of advertising for yourself there. Sure. So where can people find out more about you and Witches of Midnight? The best place to find information about Witches of Midnight right now is the at Midnight Kith, uh, M-I-D-N-I-G-H-T-K-I-T-H, uh, Twitter page. Uh, we are posting daily lore updates, daily grimoire updates, things like that. Uh, so tomorrow we are going to be talking about the harpies that we just made today. Uh, so you'll get to see sort of the first bits outside of our Discord. Uh, inside the Discord, they're all going nuts right now. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, the uh, Harpy is coming soon, and then the last four Heritage Grimoires will be coming out right after. Um, the other place to find us is probably our Itch page, which is balsamicgames.itch.io. You can find all of our free games, which includes the Witches of Midnight Quick Start, uh, which is available for free there. And uh, yeah, it's about 42 pages of goodness has some great pictures of our uh, that we're going to be using in the full book later and our Kickstarter. If you just search uh, witches of midnight Kickstarter, you'll find us. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, make sure it's balsamic games and you're, you'll know you're in the right place. As always audience, those links are going to be down in the description below. Go check out witches of midnight. It's really cool. Gavin, Thank you so much for joining me on the show this week. It was an absolute blast to have you here. Thank you. You're amazing. And I can't wait to go through your back catalog and uh, <laughs> out all the rest. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for your kind words. And audience, thank you so much for listening. Gavin and Witches at Midnight are scheduled to launch real soon. So keep an ear out for when it goes live. And I believe that's actually going to be on the night of the Summer Sabbath, right? That's right. Yep. Summer solstice while in the northern hemisphere, southern summer, uh, summer solstice. solstice. I got the yep. name wrong. It's all <laughs> summer solstice. Whoops. That's right. <laughs> Until next time, though, audience, take care of yourselves, and I'll see you real soon. Bye. Thank you so much to Gavin for joining me on the show this week. There was so much more that I wanted to talk to them about, but we just didn't have the time. The tarot system and the other grimoires were especially intriguing to me. If you enjoyed what you heard and you want to hear more about Witches of Midnight, then please go check out Balsamic Games, check out their stream, and set up a reminder on launch for the Kickstarter, because this game's looking absolutely amazing. Those links are going to be down in the description below. And thank you all for joining me once again. If you like what you heard and you want to keep hearing from me and other wonderful guests, why not leave a review and spread the word somewhere online, as word of mouth is the only way that we grow around here, and it's the best way to promote it. I'm also looking for some feedback, too. We're quickly coming up onto the 100th episode of the podcast, and I'd really like to do something for that. I dropped the ball with the 50th episode and the 25th episode and every other episode after that, so if you have any ideas, please let me know. That's all from me, though. You are loved, and I hope to see you somewhere out there. <laughs>